my faithful and loyal readers and listeners, <coughs> welcome to another segment of verse of the day. And today's verse comes from Luke 6, 37 through 38, which says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, <coughs> and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Given it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured <coughs> into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the four exhortations in these verses are in response to God's graciousness to his people <coughs> and pick up on the earlier reference to <coughs> to rewards from God. The command not to judge is paralleled with the con- with the command not to condemn and therefore refers not to the use of discernment but to a final cutting off from the possibility of God's favor. In contrast to these prohibitions, Jesus' disciples, which includes us, are to forgive as they experience God's forgiveness. Because withholding forgiveness and refusing to be generous in mercy reveals our lack of awareness of God's great forgiveness and mercy to us. And today's Bible readings are Judges 9.22-10.18, Luke 24.13-53, Psalm 101 through 5, and Proverbs 14, 11 through 12. So that concludes our verse of the day segment. We're now going to move into day 119 of our through the Bible in one year segment, with our focus <coughs> for today being look being on Luke 24, 13-53, which is the last part of Luke's Gospel. So tomorrow we will be starting in on John's Gospel, just to give you a brief heads up as to what is coming. So we're going to divide this into four different sections. So the first section is going to be Verses 13 through 35. The next section is going to be verses 36 through 43. The next section will be verses 44 through 49. And the last and final section will be verses 50 through 53. So here is what this first section says. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was one he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. <coughs> They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. <coughs> and he was at the table with them. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. <coughs> they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And the two told what had happened on the way how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So let's give a little bit of background, right? So after the emphasis on the empty tomb in the first 12 verses of this 24th chapter, <coughs> the account we just read and evidence of Jesus' physical appearance and the testimony of scriptures as taught, the testimony of the scriptures as taught 
by Jesus. So the account begins with two travelers leaving Jerusalem. It ends with them returning to Jerusalem. And it centers on the statement that Jesus is alive. So a little bit of background about these two travelers. It's not told here, but it's widely believed that they were a husband and a wife. And it's also very probable that they were Jesus' aunt and uncle. So keep that in mind as we go through this. Jesus appears to his aunt and uncle, and they don't even recognize him. So keep that in mind. So Jesus joins these travelers, and they begin to recount their perspective on what Jesus was in their eyes. So he was, in their eyes, a mighty prophet. So while this is a true statement, it's also an inadequate understanding of who Jesus actually was and who Jesus actually is. So as with the account of Joseph Arimathea, the travelers hope for the redemption of Israel reminds readers of the hope expressed at the beginning of Luke's Gospel. These hopes are fulfilled in the risen Lord Jesus. So the travelers recount the details of Jesus' crucifixion, the timing that it is now the third day, and the evidence of the empty tomb. The evidence of the empty tomb. So Jesus points out their failure to accept the evidence is a result, is a result of their heart problem, unbelief in scriptures concerning the Messiah's suffering and glory. So bear in mind, Jesus is very probably, is, is in all probability, talking to his aunt and uncle. So notice the words that he used when talking to these people. Called them fools. Or he said, How foolish you are and how slow to believe and all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So he said they were foolish to not believe. He then goes on to explain the Christ centered nature of all scripture. Not just the New Testament as we have now, but the Old Testament as well was Christ centered. <coughs> so the references to beginning with Moses, all the prophets, <coughs> and all the scripture, which would be everything else. So you got Moses, which is the five, first five books. The prophets, which include all of the history books, and the books that we would actually call prophetic books. And then all the scriptures, which would be Psalms, and possibly Proverbs, and um, song, uh, and Ecclesiastes, excuse me. So it emphasizes the comprehensiveness of which all scripture points 
points, keyword there, points, to the accomplishment of God's saving plan through Jesus. And finally, finally, it's a divine illumination that results in these travelers, it results in Jesus' aunt and uncle being able to recognize their risen Lord Jesus, their risen nephew, because you see, the reason they couldn't recognize him at first was because Jesus, Jesus was no longer in the same appearance that he had been as he walked on earth, right? Because he's now in his glorifying body that is back on earth. So because he's in his glorified body, his aunt and uncle would not have been able to recognize him, nor would his disciples have been able to recognize him in this new body. So excitement grows as they return to tell the eleven that remained back in Jerusalem. So now we're going to pick up in verse 36 and go through verse 43. So here's what it says. So while they were still talking about this, uh, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And said to them, Why are you troubled and why do you why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. Ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Took it and ate it in their presence. So this occurs on the same day as the resurrection. It occurs on the same day as Jesus appearing to his aunt and uncle on the road to Emmaus. It occurs to the, on the same day that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene outside the empty tomb. <clears throat> so he meets with his disciples and he addresses their doubting hearts as to whether or not he has risen in the flesh. That's the key word that he appeared to them in the flesh. This was not some ghost. This was not some spirit. This was Jesus in flesh and blood, in bodily form, but not in a bodily form that they would have recognized, because his old earthly body had been transformed into his new heavenly body. disciples were not naively expecting to see Jesus alive. In other words, they didn't naively expect, they didn't, they didn't expect that after this violent and gruesome death that they had just watched him suffer through, that he would appear alive before them again. But yet, here he is, uh, appearing alive before him. 
So when Jesus rebukes their doubts, right? So that's why you trouble them. I do doubts rise in your minds. Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. The hands and the feet that had the marks of the iron spikes that had been driven through them by his Roman executioners. And while they still, not be- still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So what are we talking about there, right? So this rebuke concerning their doubts, which is the first part, is followed by an invitation to see that Jesus physically stands before them with flesh and bones. Jesus is an actual physical person, not a spiritual image. He's not appearing to them in spirit. He's appearing to them in flesh. He's appearing to them in a physical body. Not a spiritual body. So you see that Jesus then eats some broiled fish in front of them. And the reason he does this is he's emphasizing the physical reality of the resurrected of his the physical reality of his resurrected body in their presence so we're going to pick up in verse 44 now and go through verse 49 which says he said to them this is what i told you while i was still with you Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things I'm going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high so if you notice there's no explicit temporal link at the beginning of these verses so there's no time reference here this is more than likely occurring at a later setting. This is more than likely occurring about 40 days after all of this occurred. Which was when Jesus is recorded to have ascended into heaven. <coughs> so Jesus is, Jesus here explains the comprehensive way in which he fulfills the goal of scripture and enables the disciples to grasp this meaning for themselves. So that's what, we're t- that's what he's talking about when he says everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of law of Moses and the prophets. Right, so that's what he means. Then, then it says, that's verse 44. 
and then he says he then he opened their mind so they could understand the scriptures. That's the part about enabling the disciples to grasp this meaning for themselves. Now all of a sudden they get it. They were kind of sort of starting to get it before, but now they finally, finally, really, really get it because Jesus opened their minds so they can really, really do this idea that all this had to happen to fulfill what they had been taught from a young age was how salvation was going to come to the world. So, like other Jews at the time, Jesus divided the Old Testament into three sections. Those three sections were the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, with the book that we now call the Book of Psalms, representing the Writings. So, according to Jesus, the Scriptures anticipated not only His suffering, death, and resurrection, but also the spread of the good news of the forgiveness of sins to all nations. So that is what it is meant <coughs> when we talk about the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So then what's the other part talking about where it says, um, the scriptures anticipate only a suffering death and resurrection, but also spread the good news of the forgiveness of sins to all nations. So what are we talking about there? So this is in verse 46 where it says, He told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Hmm. Hmm. So in other words, the Old Testament points to what happens in the New Testament. Keep that in mind. So the disciples will be witnesses under Jesus' command with the enabling power of the Spirit in keeping with the promise of the Father. So that's how this section ends in verses 48 and 49. It says, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Hmm. So here, he says, you're going to be witnesses under my command. And you're going to be able to do this because of the enabling power of the Spirit and in keeping with the promise that God has given you that when I leave to ascend to go back to heaven, he's going to send and I'm going to allow it to be sent another one. Not another one different, but another one like me. I'm going to allow what will become known as the third person of the Trinity to be fully and completely revealed. <coughs> so now we come to these last four verses, which are verses 50 through 53, which say, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So look here compressed. <laughs> 
going to develop in more detail in Acts 1, 1 through 11. We're not going to go into the detail now. We'll go into that detail when we get to the book of Acts. So, here's what we need to know. So, Bethany is on the Mount of Olives. Right, you understand that? So, he says they went to Bethany. That means that they went to the Mount of Olives. So, Jesus is ascending. It's a visible demonstration to his disciples of the decisive shift in salvation history that has now taken place. As he will now reign from the right hand of the Father. So, with references to Jerusalem and the temple and praising God, who concludes his gospel where it begins. So, what are we talking about there? So, it says, then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So, if you flip all the way back over to the beginning of Luke's gospel, right? How does Luke's gospel begin? So, Luke's gospel begins with the birth of John the Baptist. Hmm. So, here's what it says. Here's what it says. I'm going to start in verse 5. So, in the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to, her, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well long in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, 
now you do not believe my words will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor, and taken away his disgrace among the people. So you see the, the Gospel of Luke begins with this hope, this hope that there was going to be a fulfillment of God's promises. And it ends with the fulfilling of that hope, with those hopes for the fulfilling of God's promises being realized in the risen Lord Jesus, who, by the way, was the second cousin of John the Baptist. So God has come to his people, and so Jesus, who now reigns, is to be rightly worshipped, because you see, God has come to his people, finally, and his people are not just the children of Israel, his people are all those who believe in him and choose to do what he has commanded them to do. So tomorrow's Bible readings are Judges 11 through 12, John 1, 1 through 28, Psalm 101, 1 through 8, and Proverbs 14, 13 through 16.